tonight. Maybe you can see around me. I'm going to do use some slides here tonight, so I'm not trying to be in, trying to, if I stand right in the middle, and I've got to be walking over here all the time, so. Well, it's good to see you all tonight. Well, thank you. I think it's supposed to be spring later this week, right? Spring? Spring is coming? Yes, I think so. Whatever it is, it's all good. God's good all the time. If you have your Bibles, uh, why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 2 tonight. We'll continue on in our verse-by-verse study through the book. And uh, <clears throat> we want to pick it up at verse 8, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 8 tonight. But let's uh, begin with a word of prayer before we get into our study. Lord, again, we do thank you for the privilege to come and sing your praises uh, together as a family of believers. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would minister to our hearts now as we open the word of God and uh, hear from you. I thank you for the Holy Spirit, who is the ultimate teacher. And so minister to our hearts as we uh, study your word together tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, uh, the theme of Ephesians is the universal church of God. And uh, after an initial greeting in the book, uh, Paul gives a one-sentence statement that presents the grand plan or the grand scheme of, of God's plan of salvation in, in chapter 1, 3 through 14. 3 through 14, one long sentence. And then he concludes the chapter by praying for enlightenment, that they would further appreciate and understand uh, this great salvation in chapter 1, 15 through 23. And that brings us to chapter 2, another long sentence, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Nobody taught the Apostle Paul about run-on sentences. <laughs> chapter 2 and verses 1 through 10 in the Greek is one long sentence, again, emphasizing the greatness of our salvation and really emphasizing the uh, uh, as we saw last week in uh, 2, 1 through 7, uh, an overview of our salvation, uh, our past. Uh, where were we in the past as far as uh, salvation? Well, we were lost, right? We use the word lost, but the, the scripture uses what we were dead in sin. We were dead in trespasses and sin. That's where we were, and we walked according to the course of this world. Then in terms of the present, as believers, what has happened? Well, he has made us alive made us alive in Christ. And uh, we have been uh, raised with him, and we are currently seated with him. That's our position. Positionally, we're in heaven. We're not there yet, but our citizenship is there. Our position is in heaven. And furthermore, in terms of the future, we saw here in verse 7, he says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In eternity, God is going to kind of show us off. <clears throat> Not for our glory, but for his glory. Yeah, we, he's going to display us as trophies of grace. And uh, what has God done for us? It might be easier to say, what has God not done for us? I mean, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Uh, we're going to rule with Jesus Christ in his kingdom. It's, it's unfathomable what we are going to experience when we get to the golden city, the new Jerusalem. Well, in the ages to come... As it says there in verse 7, uh, he is going to show the exceeding riches of his grace. You know, we see a little bit now, 
but boy, when we get there, I think, um, <clears throat> I'm not sure what the language of heaven is, but I think it's going to be something to the equivalent of wow, uh, only in a magnified sense. Uh, it's going to be impressive, that's for sure. Okay, well, that brings us uh, to uh, our study tonight. <clears throat> and uh, somebody want to read for us uh, chapter 2, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9? Let's start there. Yeah, John? Okay, <clears throat> most of us as Christians have memorized these verses probably very early on in our Christian South and our Christian experience. They are key verses, and uh, so we want to look at it here tonight. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And the word grace means favor. What kind of favor? Unmerited favor, exactly. And we often use that little acrostic uh, Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. And uh, this really harks back to verse 5, where he said at the end of verse 5, he talked about how we were dead in trespasses, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So he's kind of he's building on what he has already brought out here in verse 5. Now, as we think about grace, the Bible is very clear that grace and works are mutually exclusive. I mean, to add anything in terms of works to grace um, destroys grace. Howdy. So, uh, yeah, they're mutually exclusive. And uh, if it's of works, it's no longer grace. If it's grace, it's no longer works. Uh, Romans eleven six plainly states that principle. And so grace and works are mutually exclusive. When we think about salvation by grace, and uh, our whole gospel is uh, one of grace, but you know, we say, well, which one of these uh, are you trusting in? Would it be works? A lot of times when we share the gospel, we use this illustration with them. It's on the back of our little how good track. And uh, are you trusting in works, Christ plus works, or Christ? Now, to the natural way of thinking, this would seem to be the most spiritual, right? We don't want to leave Christ completely out of it, <laughs> right? I mean, they're tracking with that. Even the unbeliever knows that, that much. So then a lot of times we'll say this circle here. But really... Grace is all Christ. You see, when you add the works, it's kind of like, I'm doing something too. But the gospel of grace is Christ has done it all for us. It's not what we do. It's uh, unmerited favor. Uh, we haven't done anything uh, other than we did all the sinning and he does all the saving. I mean, if you did something, to, you did the sinning. But, of course, that doesn't contribute anything towards your salvation. <laughs> Uh, Christ is the one who brings about our salvation. Uh, let's see here. I think I've got another little illustration here. There's an old fable about a man who died and stood before St. Peter. This is just a, a story, by the way. It's just a, it's a fable, right? Uh, Peter, who was evaluating people to see whether they would be allowed into heaven. Peter said, in order to get in, you need 1,000 points. The man said, I've gone to church all my life, was a faithful member of my church. Peter said, that equals one point. The man continued, I've been faithful to my wife, was a good father. Peter replied, now you're up to two points. Flabbergasted, the man said, I've been a good community servant. I gave to the Salvation Army. I helped out in my neighborhood. I was involved in good causes in my community. Peter said, you're now up to three points. The guy then blurted out at this rate, the only way I'm going to get to heaven is by the grace of God. Peter said, that's worth 1,000 points. Come on in. <laughs> Illustrates the, the point, no pun intended, right? Uh, in fact, it's worse than what the fable is 
Because the Bible says that all our righteousnesses before God are what? Are counted as? How many of our righteousnesses? Man, you don't get any points. Zero. Uh, it's all infected. It's all affected by sin. All of the right things that we do. There is nothing God says, you know what? That's kind of helping you on to me. No, it's not. Uh, grace is all Jesus, 100% all the way. So uh, when we talk about by grace you have been saved, there's really uh, two aspects of God's grace um, that are emphasized in the scriptures. And the first aspect that, that I hammer a lot, well, and the, the Bible does, uh, we preach the gospel of God's grace, as it's called in the scriptures. And uh, <clears throat> the, the best picture of grace in all of the word of God is the cross of Jesus Christ. I mean, when Jesus died on the cross, it was pure grace that, that had him stay there on the cross. And when he died, he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished, right? He said, it is finished. He had paid, he alone had paid the full price. Nobody was with him on the cross. He alone paid the full price for our sin debt. That's grace. That was a grace payment for, for sin. And so uh, that's one aspect of God's grace. The other aspect of God's grace, however, is his intervening work in our hearts in an, in an unmerited way where he intervenes and, and he convicts us of our sin. And he shows us the truth of the gospel. This is God's intervening work of grace in our hearts. And that is kind of the emphasis here. Remember in verse 5, in the context, it says there, Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So he's talking about that work in the heart and the life of the person to bring them to salvation. Uh, God's work in, in the heart. So uh, that's grace. Uh, by grace, you have been saved through faith. You do have to respond. Uh, you have to respond by faith. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Um, the Bible is very clear. It's with the heart that one believes unto righteousness in Romans 10, 9, and 10. And uh, faith is in the scriptures presented as a non-meritorious reality. Uh, faith is not a work. Uh, it's a it's a response from the heart, and even that is a matter of God working in your heart to bring you to faith. No, no one on their own ever seeks after God. God ta God intervenes. Now we do have to respond, and there's mystery there, sovereignty of God and human responsibility, human response. But you do have to respond uh, by faith. Uh, Romans chapter four and verse sixteen says, "Therefore it is a faith that it might be according to grace." So faith and grace go together uh, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Uh, Abraham is kind of like the, uh, the key example of faith in the scriptures. Uh, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, uh, Genesis 15, 6. Uh, his faith was accounted to him for righteousness. He did believe and you do have to believe and God holds people accountable to believe as the gospel goes forth, they, they are, and the Spirit works conviction. They are responsible to respond to that by faith. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Um, now, there's a lot of discussion. What is that not of yourselves mean, right? All kinds of discussion as far as what that means. Uh, some of our uh, high Calvinist friends would emphasize that that refers to the faith that just was mentioned. 
by grace you have been saved uh, through faith, and, and, and that not of yourselves refers to the faith, they would say. And so they would say, faith itself is a gift, right? And uh, unless God gives you and zaps you with a gift of faith, you're never going to get it. So God gives faith to the elect, and uh, end of story. Well, um, I take it that really he's talking about the whole subject of salvation that's gone on before here. And uh, I think I've got a couple of quotes here. Uh, This is from A.T. Robertson, the Greek, uh, you know, he was a a Greek uh, scholar. Uh, Grace is God's part, faith ours. Uh, You see, the word that is neuter, where faith and grace are feminine. So that's one of the problems if you just say, well, it's referring to the the faith. Uh, I agree with Robertson, grace is God's part, faith ours, not totally independent of God, because even our faith is dependent upon God's work in our hearts, as we've talked about. But And that is neuter, not feminine, and so refers not to faith or to grace, feminine also, but to the act of being saved by grace, conditioned on faith on our part. Um, yeah, that's what I would see. God uh, holds people accountable to respond by faith. And uh, then uh, Harold Honer, another scholar that is a favorite of mine, Uh, He says, in conclusion, the gift is that which is outside of ourselves and is to be received. Therefore, the gift of salvation has its origin in God, its basis is of grace, and it is received by means of faith. I think that's a balanced statement in terms of uh, the whole counsel of God. That not of yourselves. Uh, Salvation is not our doing. We don't save ourselves. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. It's God's doing. It's wholly a God thing based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, based on responding uh, by grace through faith, receiving it uh, through faith. And then uh, emphasizes here, it is uh, the gift of God. Um, Gift is the idea of grace. Grace is a gift. And uh, the idea of the gift of God is, is, is it's that which is given without cost. Uh, we understand this, right? Somebody gives you a gift for Christmas and you don't look over at them and say, well, now how much do I owe you for this? You know, I know you did something, but I'm, I should try to do something here too. No, no. If it's a gift, you just say thank you. And that's the way salvation is. Uh, we've been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. This salvation package is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's of the grace of God. It's of the gift of God. All right, uh, before I get to verse 9, any, any uh, comments, any input there? Yeah, yeah, Vince, uh-huh. Well, that's great, Vince, love it. No, I, I was thinking, and you're right on the, on the word gift, and just to expand on that a little bit, you know, the gift is free for the one who receives it. That's right. But it costs to the person who gives it. That's right. And to God, it costs it tremendously. That's right. And, you know, so it's, it's a free gift to us, but it's a costly. That's, it's a, it's a and what did it cost? There you go. The life of his son. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's right. Uh, who died on the cross as the sin payment. That's right. So that's right. The gift is free to the, re- the one who's receiving it, but it costs the giver. That's right. Amen. Good point. All right. Yes, Ron. Yes. So how does a dead man exercise faith? Well, you know, that's a great question. 
And I would ask you this question. Uh, you know, dead men can be under conviction. How can that happen? You understand what I'm saying? We see in the scriptures, like in uh, Acts chapter 7, how come you always resist the Holy Spirit? He says, as your forefathers did, you stiff-necked. Uh, how, how can dead people be under conviction? Uh, the Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So I understand the theological position that says, hey, you're spiritually dead, but if you're going to carry that through, as somebody said, this is a pretty lively corpse that can be under conviction. So you can't apart from God's intervention. That's for sure. So you must be born again. You must be born again. And, and how are you born again? Well, God is the one who makes us born again. We can't make ourselves born again. But we do have to respond in faith. And again, I believe there's mystery there. Uh, I don't believe it's just that God zaps you, but he does hold you personally accountable. And I go back to Genesis 4, 7, where I see that interaction between uh, God's intervention and human responsibility. Let me show you what I mean, because I can see you're, you're, you're tracking with me. What do you got to say, Jesse? Sure he does. Satan is the one that no, that's not true, Jesse. <laughs> Jesse, uh, it is the spirit who convicts. It's not. No, no, you're using the wrong terminology, Jesse. Uh, it is the spirit of God who convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. It's in John chapter 16. Yeah, so, God don't us with sin. yes, he does. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's go to Genesis chapter four and verse seven. Uh, and, and where I'm looking at here, Ron, is in Genesis four, seven, where God says to Cain, uh, who was definitely in sin at this point, right? He's dead in sin. And God says to him, if you do well, you will be accepted. But if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and his desire is for you, but you should rule over it. That's so interesting to me that God is expecting Cain to respond here. Um, you know, how come God is putting on him this personal responsibility of responding if he can't? Uh, it's like God is holding him accountable. And I think this is set out early in the scriptures and the rest of the scripture builds on this. And again, there's mystery there, but I believe that we're made in the image of God and we are dead in sin. That means we are separated from God in our sin. And apart from God's intervention, we never make a move towards God and we can't. But there is this convicting reality of the Holy Spirit, even as God was working with Cain. Uh, and Cain didn't listen. Cain didn't listen to the Lord. And therefore, there was a there was a problem. Jesse, I don't want you interrupting me when I'm teaching, okay? So you can you can interject when you raise your hand. So I don't want you interrupting. So thanks for for that. Okay, we've covered that, Jesse. Yeah, we're going to move on here. Okay, all right. Um, so um, yeah, 
we are dead in sin. Uh, that, that's our position before God. But there is this reality of God's sovereign working and uh, human responsibility and human response. There's mystery there. At the end of the day, I do end up on the God side of things. Uh, it is God who is responsible for our salvation from A to Z. And yet, somehow, there is uh, re- responsibility. There's accountability. Uh, I look at uh, Thessalonians where uh, God will judge those who have not responded to the gospel. The gospel's for everyone. And until people respond, uh, they're under sin. All right, any other uh, thoughts? Okay, let's, uh, let's press on here. Uh, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Uh, works are things that we do. Um, not, not of works. Uh, things that we do. What, what would be some examples of works? Baptism. Yeah. Uh, water baptism would be a work. It's a good work, but it doesn't save you. Uh, what else? What other kind of works might we talk about? Going to, Going to church. Oh, that's a good work. Jesse? Okay. What? Okay, Jesse, we've been down that road. That's false teaching, and, and we don't believe that here. Okay? Uh, the Spirit does convict people of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. John sixteen eleven. I mean, that's what the Bible says right there. So uh, the issue is, how are we going to respond to that? So, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, there's lots of things we could mention as far as works here. Right? Uh, we could mention people trying to keep the Ten Commandments. Uh, people living a good life. Yeah. But uh, we just saw on Facebook, uh, Neville showed me that there is a group of Mormons uh, around our neighborhood that if you call them the young people, yeah, they will come and do some work for you for free. Yeah. Right. They are believe in salvation uh, on the basis of work. So these will are things, you know, they work on your yard. So that's a good work for them right. towards salvation. Sure. I've tried to think about calling them, then having work and then share the gospel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know, I'm not sure about that strategy. Anyway, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Maybe you want to wait to share until after they mow the lawn. That's a good idea. Uh, not of works. That is things that we do, human effort. Again, I think the gospel is spelled out in it is finished. When Jesus Christ said it is finished on the cross, there's nothing that we can add to that. It is finished. Uh, Jesus paid it all. By one offering, we are perfected forever. Hebrews ten fourteen. Uh, it's all God's doing. Works is trying to reach up to God uh, through what we do. Grace is God in love reaching down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So grace is all God towards us. Works is us trying to reach up and, and get to God. And so not of works, lest anyone should boast. Can you imagine if it was based on works, uh, what would heaven be like? We'd never hear the end of it, right? I mean, uh, did, did you realize what I did to get here? Man, uh, I, it was impressive. Let me tell you about it. No, uh, no one can brag on what they have, have done. You know what heaven is singing? Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Uh, nobody's bragging on what they have done. We, we glory in the cross of Jesus Christ alone. 
So we have a fourfold uh, emphasis here as far as uh, our salvation. Note the four times in verses 8 through 9, Paul states the same basic truth in four ways. Twice he states it in the positive and twice in the negative. One by grace, unmerited favor, not of yourselves, you didn't do it. Gift of God, it is freely given, not of works. It's not from self-effort. So, boy, that's a powerful, powerful package saying that uh, we're saved by Jesus and his work. Not anything that we do. Uh, We simply respond by faith. You do have to respond by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, okay. Uh, Any other thoughts before we go on into verse 10? Okay. Very good. Let's have somebody read verse 10. Gwinnett. Okay, thank you. So uh, it's interesting. A lot of times we memorize uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, but we don't memorize verse 10. Why is that? It's convicting. <laughs> it's convicting. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily it. I think we're wanting to kind of, and, and rightfully so, we want to keep the salvation package by grace through faith, not of works. But now in verse 10, he brings in works. That's kind of interesting. Um, The reformers used to say, we're saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves does not remain alone. Ah, that's a good statement. And uh, we see that reflected here when it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Um, We're his workmanship. Again, this is emphasizing grace. It's what God does. Uh, It's God's doing. Uh, When you think about uh, new birth, did you have anything to do with your first birth? No. Did you have anything to do with your second one? No. Uh, We're born of God. It's God's doing. Uh, So we are his workmanship. This is God's doing. Created in Christ Jesus. By the way, this word workmanship is an interesting word. It comes from a a Greek word, poema, from which we get our English word poem. And it really is the idea of a a masterpiece of art or or, or skillful uh, workmanship. And that's what we are. We are God's workmanship, his masterpiece, his work of art. And I think this uh, certainly uh, refers to us individually, but also corporately as God puts us together as the body of Christ. And that is where the emphasis will go in the chapter. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Uh, We're in union with Christ. That's how God brings us uh, into new life where we have a new nature. We're partakers of the divine nature. And uh, really three things uh, I want to emphasize here that God supernaturally brings about. He's given us new life, uh, our union with Christ, given us a new nature, new holy desires, given us the Holy Spirit to empower us. All of these are true of those who are believers. Uh, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. What I mentioned there, it's all God's doing. And uh, to what end? To To what end? Well, for good works. This is where the works come in. Um, we're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. A major distinction. Uh, he saved us to reflect a changed life. God's workmanship has happened in us, and now that's to be on display 
in our lives in the form of good works. Um, this is our purpose. Again, uh, works are the fruit. Uh, grace through faith is the root. And then works are the fruit. Uh, we're not saved by fruit. Uh, we're saved by faith. But if we have true faith, the expectation is that the fruit will follow as we have here. Uh, I like this. This is just part of a little orchestra story. Life is like a, a piece the orchestra plays. It has high notes and low notes and in between notes. There are loud parts and quiet parts. Sometimes there are periods of rest, sometimes periods of intense activity. But when all is completed, there is a message being put on display for all who have observed it. God is both the composer and the director of a piece called Grace. He has sovereignly authored the piece. He sovereignly stations the players. He has predetermined exactly what part each individual is to play. He sovereignly directs the performance to a determined end. All the glory belongs to him for all the players and the parts we play are his workmanship, his work of art. And uh, that's a pretty good illustration in terms of uh, what's being said here. We are his workmanship uh, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God has before, uh, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, it was all planned beforehand. Uh, nothing is new to God. It's all in His mind even before anything came into to play. Uh, but this is what God wants us to do. Uh, it's the He has a course for you to run and for me to run. It's mapped out even beforehand, uh, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, walk is, a, is the idea of a lifestyle pattern. talks about uh, how the disobedient walked according to the course of this world. Now, we are to walk according to the reality of our new creation in Christ, our work, the workmanship that we are in Christ. Okay, and he's really going to expand this. Uh, you know, the first three chapters are largely doctrinal in nature. The last chapters four through six are largely practical. And he's going to expound there as far as how God would have us uh, to walk and how he would have us to live. Okay, any other thoughts there before we move on to the last section here? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm thinking we all have those days, John, for sure. But you know, he's not done with us either, right? That's for sure. And, uh, you know, I think maybe one of the ways that we can appreciate what God has done already in our life is to look back as to where we were. And that's where Paul now goes in verses 11 through 13. He looks back and, uh, yeah, we're not what we want to be, but thank God we're not what we were either. That's for sure. All right. Anyone else? Okay. Let's uh, have somebody read uh, 11 and 12. Who wants to read verses 11 and 12? Yeah. Okay. Okay, thank you. Uh, the therefore is a connector word. It connects with what he's just said. This long sentence in chapter 2, 1 through 10. The sentence on salvation. But uh, therefore, uh, remember. Remember. And uh, you know, one thing about remembering where we've come from, it makes us see the greatness of our salvation. 
what, what God has done for us. And so he's taking them back to what they were uh, before they were before they were saved. And there's an emphasis here, too, as we transition here, that salvation is not merely an individual matter. That's kind of the emphasis in those first 10 verses. But now he's transitioning to more of a, a corporate feel. That uh, not only does your salvation affect you, but it brings you into a whole family of fellow believers. And that is kind of the emphasis here. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, uh, this is where you came from. Uh, and, and unless you're Jewish by background, you can relate to this, right? Fellow Gentiles, right? Yes. Yeah. This is where we were. Remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh and really, as you break it down, you've got two categories of people in the world, right? Wrong. There's three categories in the world, right? Uh, Jew. And who are the Jews? Well, they're the blood descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, right? Through that line, the blood descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Um, Abraham's got different descendants, but it's got to be traced through Isaac and Jacob. Uh, that's the Jews. Um, who are the Gentiles? Yeah, they, they are the non-Jews. It's everybody else, right? You've got Jews and you've got Gentiles. And then what other group do you have, according to Scripture? Huh? Yeah, otherwise known as the church, right? The church. Yeah, so you got those three categories. And it's interesting how God has, has developed another category here because the church is cons consists of both Jew and Gentile in one family, in one body. Uh, so it's a whole separate group called the Church of Jesus Christ, taking out of the, the nations, the people for his name. Whosoever will believe on Christ comes, becomes a part of this family. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or Gentile by background. Well, he's now uh, talking to the Gentiles, and he says, Remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision. And for the Jews, I mean, that was like a, a derogatory term. Well, they're the uncircumcised. Uh, that would mean that, uh, you know, they did not bear the sign of the covenant. Going back to Genesis 17, circumcision was a, a sign that we are the covenant people. We are the special people in covenant relationship with God. Gentiles are like God forsaken people. Uh, they have no, no, uh, tie whatever to God. And so it was a, a term of uh, contempt, really. Uh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands. It's interesting how he qualifies this. By what is called circumcision. Uh, in other words, by the Jews. Uh, by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. That's an important distinction. Because you see there was, if you were Jewish in terms of by nationality, in terms of by background here, uh, you would have been circumcised. But he's talking about the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. In other words, outwardly identifying with what man has done, uh, made by hands. And uh, there's an important distinction in the scriptures between that and the circumcision of the heart, which is a spiritual surgery done by God, where he deals with that, that, that hardness of the heart. And, and now uh, the result is a soft heart towards God. Um, in Romans chapter 2, 28 through 29, for he is not a Jew who is a one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. 
Well, this is what the Jews all knew. And, and there was that outward reality back in the Old Testament. But he's pointing out that's not the essential thing. He is a Jew, one who really is a, um, belongs to God in covenant relationship. He is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. There's the ultimate issue. In the spirit, you see, if you got this outward stuff, but you don't have the inward, yeah, you're not truly a, a true Jew. In other words, one who's truly in covenant relationship with God. You got all the, all the outward markings, but it's not really true. You're not a really true full Jew until you're one inwardly. And circumcision is that a heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but of, from God. Paul develops this here in Colossians 2.11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. It's a spiritual operation. By the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. This is a work of God in the heart uh, related to conversion. So, um, okay. Any other thoughts there before we go on to verse 12? Yes, Jesse? It's certainly the grace of God that does that, for sure. Yep. All right, let's uh, go on. Verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Before our conversion, this is what we were as Gentiles. And you got five bad things that are stated here. They're all kind of saying the same thing. There's some overlap here. Uh, at that time, this is before salvation, uh, you were without Christ. No messianic hope, no connection to Christ, no connection to the messianic promises. I mean, we're just out here flailing away aimlessly as Gentiles without Christ, without Messiah. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Uh, Aliens don't belong. I'm not making a political statement. <laughs> being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, being estranged from the commonwealth means a citizenship or, or the membership of Israel. Didn't belong to the community, the covenant community of Israel. Uh, there was no place for Gentiles in the covenant community of Israel. In fact, in the Old Testament, if you really wanted to get under the, the blessings uh, that related to Israel, what did you have to do? You had to become a Jew. You had to become a proselyte. You had to be a convert to, to Judaism and, and come under the, the umbrella of Judaism. That's just the way it was. Otherwise, you're just an uncircumcised one out here without Christ and uh, estranged from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers from the covenants of promise. Didn't have any relationship to the covenant. You know how God relates to his people consistently through the scriptures? Through the covenants. Through the covenant promises. And what's the mega, the mother of all covenants, as I like to call it? Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant. Right. Land, seed, blessing. But they did, these, these covenants were not in connection with Gentiles. Now we know there's some uh, ramifications, some application as we... Uh, talk about the blessing aspect of the Abrahamic covenant, but that really didn't come into play until we come to Christ, through the one through whom the blessing aspect of that covenant is fulfilled. Strangers from the covenants. Uh, God didn't make these covenant promises to Gentiles. It was to Israel. 
Having no hope. No hope. Boy, that's a bad place to be. No hope. Uh, Hope is a certain expectation. Uh, In other words, having no future. No future. No claim on anything about the future. No hope. Nothing in store. And without God in the world. No true relationship with the one true God. So you have a five-fold hopelessness without God in the world. Outside, looking in, no claim to the things of God. That's where, that's where we were as Gentiles. Boy, how about this, where we are today? I mean, we've studied the, the grand scheme of God's salvation, chapter 1, and then chapter 2, uh, as well as we've built up to this point. Albert? Yep. Where we where we came from, and and it, just like the, the the rich man Lazarus. Yep. And when he was talking to to and Abraham said, or he he said, have Lazarus come and dip dip his dip his finger in some water and give it to him. And he said, no. Remember when you remember. Mm-hmm. When you had all these things that you just you didn't treat treat it well, and so remembrance can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. Well, yeah, for that guy at that point, it's like yeah, it's not a good thing, right? right? But as far as where we're coming from, what's it do for us? It helps us. It, it, it helps us to remember what Christ did for us through His grace. It, that's exactly it. When we think about where we were, all of these five things. Put your name in there. Dwight, you were without Christ. Aliens from the the commonwealth of Israel. Uh, A stranger from the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. That's where I was. Boy, what's that spell ultimately? That spells eternal damnation. Now that's a bad, bad place to be. That's That's where the Gentile world was. Any other thoughts? Yes. Amen. Well, <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. That's for sure. And we're coming to that in the next verse here. That's right. Someone else? Yeah. 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 Yeah, boy, I tell you, that's true. To whom much given, uh, much is given, much is is required. So that's true. Awesome responsibility there. Uh, yes, Kurt. Right. And so I think that that is also, we don't want to just be more copy and say, I'm not one of them anymore. Thankful for it, but I also have a, a desire to reach them. 
Well, amen. That, there, that is a great point. And there's no holier than thou, that's for sure. That's the whole emphasis on grace throughout here. It's all, it's all grace. Jesse. Well, you're right. Ultimately, uh, Satan, the devil, and all of that's going to be confined to hell forever. That, that is certainly true. Amen, Jesse. All right. Anyone else? Okay, let's finish out here. Uh, Paul, do you have something yet? Well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, he's, he's not there yet, right? I mean, shortly he's going to crush Satan under, under our feet. It says at the end of Romans there. But he's, you know where the devil is right now? No, he's not. He's still on the loose. Uh, he's going about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he, he is not, he's headed there. I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's the sentence. But it hasn't been carried out just yet. And so he is still running free here right now. But, but that's ultimately where he's headed. That's true. Let's finish out verse uh, 13. But now in Christ Jesus. Ah, this is where we are. In Christ. That's our position. Uh, now in Christ. Uh, but it's a transition word. It's a contrast word. This is where we were. That, that ugliness in verse 12. Fivefold ugliness. But now in Christ Jesus. You who were once far off. Far from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been brought into intimate relationship. How did that happen? Through our good works? No, by the blood of Jesus. This is everything to us. This is how it happened. Uh, I think I've got a slide or two here by the blood of, of Christ. This is the root basis of it all, by the blood of Christ. We are not brought into this intimate relationship via a ritual or a religious exercise. We are not brought uh, close by good works, effort, or personal merits. We are not brought near by a church or a religious leader. Uh, no, we are brought near solely on the basis of the blood of Christ. Uh, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Galatians 6.14. That makes all the difference in the world. Uh, let me summarize what we're talking about. Summary statement. By grace, brought near by the blood of Christ. By grace. That's what we're talking about. Brought near by the blood of Christ. You have been saved through faith for good works. The blood of Christ changed everything. That's the bottom line for us. This is the grace of God by which we are saved. Um, you know, I, I was reading an article today. Help me out with this. Uh, this is a, out of a Christian magazine, and this uh, lady writes in. She says, I'm 80 years old and have been doing a lot of thinking. Well, it's, yeah, it's time to start thinking at that point for sure if you haven't been doing it before. But she says, uh, also, uh, I grew up uh, Pentecostal, have always gone to church on Sundays. 
Should I have gone to Saturday services instead? Have I broken one of the commandments and will I go to hell? What do you think about that question? Really bad. How bad is it? What's that? It's a works theology, right? If I'm not going to church on the right day of the work, maybe I'm going to be damned to hell. Well, you're not saved by going to church to start with. Let's back up and talk about how are we really saved here. This dear lady has never, even though she's gone to church, you know, all of her life. And she said the reason she's been staying home is because of COVID. But, uh, you know, she doesn't understand grace. It's really sad. Somebody needs to explain. It's not by what we do, by when we go to church and how often or whatever. It's by Jesus and what he's done for us. Okay, well, thanks for helping me out with that little exercise. I, I, I thought you'd be able to do that. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Okay, very good. Uh, Prayer sheets, uh, there's some around here somewhere.